daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Normally at this time of year we'd be gearing up for the World Cup, but we'll have to wait till December for Qatar 2022. For now it's the Nations League and England drew 1-1 with Germany in Munich last night. Kane's 50th three Lions goal enough for the draw, but did Southgate's side deserve that result? We'll talk about that as well as lots of Premier League talent on show last night. And there's lots of Premier League talent potentially on the move too, with transfer rumours involving Manchester United, Everton, Arsenal, Man City and Spurs all on the agenda on today's show. This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the campaign during the season. But for the summer, we're down to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So hit subscribe to stay in the loop. My name's Niall and joining me today, Ian Brannan and Matt Pidd. How are you doing, boys? Morning, Niall. My right, Yeah, good. Thank you. How was your long weekend? Have you recovered? Uh, I was boring and stayed in and watched <laughs> films. I, um, I've i got a stag doing Blackpool at the end of June, so I'm gearing oh, myself up for that. <laughs> yeah, saving all of your tokens yes, for that. <laughs> what about you, Ian? What yeah. did you get up to? It was good. Well, we went away last week um, on a little family holiday and that, and then uh, the weekend... Um, we didn't do a massive amount, actually. Um, there was a street party, which seemingly we weren't oh. invited to. I'm putting that down to the fact that we were away in the days leading up to it. So um, we just did our own thing. And um, listen to the vibes coming across the air of, uh, of Ed Sheeran, who was at the Stadium of Light. So, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Ah. Mm. I mean, I couldn't actually hear what he was doing, but I just go... <laughs> <laughs> like just presume it was Ed Sheeran and not someone building a new conservatory or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Could well be. Very similar experiences. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the football then because over the long weekend, England did play Hungary and they lost by a goal to nil. And we discussed that on Monday's episode of Football Social Daily and we all agreed in the studio that England needed to perform much better if they were going to get a result against Germany. In the end, the final score was 1-1 in Munich in the Nations League. I was ready to go in on England today and in on Gareth Southgate because I thought the first half England were insipid. I thought they were rubbish. I thought they looked completely disjointed. But in the end, it finished 1-1. There was a a penalty which Harry Kane dispatched to make it a draw and that's how it finished. So before we talk about the sort of incidents in the game, do you think 1-1 was a fair result, Ian, at the end of the day? Yeah, I do actually. And in 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 full context of everything, uh, I know we're going to get into the ins and outs of various uh, parts of the match, but on balance, yes, because when you when you look at the amount of chances that Harry Kane had that he didn't put away, and and, and which yeah. were actually you know yeah there was one or two that were that were misses, but there were some very good shots that were saved well by Neuer, and you could argue yeah. that he'd have those same chances again uh, if he played that match another hundred times, and and probably you know eighty times out of that he, he would probably bag them and. England or certainly Harry Kane could have could have had two or three goals it could have all been over and done with and yes Germany had their chances as well so yeah 1-1 I think it would have been harsh for England to have lost it and I know it was a last ditch penalty and all that that we're going to talk about in more detail shortly uh, but overall the result 1-1 if you ignore how it was achieved I think uh, on on the on the balance of the two sides Germany of course always a tough opponent um, and, and the match always has uh, extra meaning to it of course doesn't it it's one that doesn't really need any build up you, you know what Germany England's always about always very competitive and to come away 1-1 I think you'd take it 
Yeah, I felt up for the game until about 10 minutes in. And then I was like, this is just draining. <laughs> Sapping the life just remembered what me. England matches are like. <laughs> I mean, the one during the Euros was brilliant. That's one of the best feelings I've had. I mean, I said this on Monday and I've said this so many times on the podcast that I'm uh, sort of club over country guy so obviously I want England to do well being English but at the same time you know I'm not exactly hung up on results whether we win or lose but I do like when we play Germany because there's always that little bit of an extra edge but the game in the Euros was was exceptional that's probably the best I've felt or at least I remember feeling watching England and that was only what a last 16 or a quarter final game that was brilliant but it didn't have the same vibe as you'd understand last night with it being the Nations League and not an actual competitive tournament and Germany certainly looked up for it they looked like they were ready to kind of get some revenge from that Euros defeat they were on their own patch in Munich um, and they did play well I think in the first half England managed to keep them at bay they, they defended well for a period but it always looked like Germany were going to take the lead Matt and that's exactly what they did Credit for the pass. The assist was absolutely brilliant. However, it ends up being smashed into the back of the net straight through Jordan Pickford. Do you think the Everton goalkeeper should have done better for the opening goal? Yeah, I do. I think he should have done better. I mean, we know Jordan Pickford's had an absolutely fantastic season for Everton. I know that he was battling relegation, but if it wasn't for him, especially in that game against Chelsea, you know, they could have been looking forward to playing in the championship next season. So I think that we can give him a little bit of leeway for that. We know that he's got the reputation of being poppered on wrists, um, T-Rex arms, etc., etc. <laughs> but I think sometimes it can be a little bit like too much. Like I pe- think people can criticise him too much. We know that goalkeepers can make mistakes and ultimately when a goalkeeper makes a mistake, it, nine times out of ten it ends up with the ball going in the back of the net. Um, I think he's just tried to anticipate where Hoffman's going to shoot. I think he's um, thought he's going for the corner. He's dived and then obviously the ball's gone straight at him, but he's already gone down. He's tried to stick his arm up. He's tried to, you know, block it, but it's it's just gone past him. And it's just one of these things that happens. Um, I think Pickford won't be having too many sleepless nights about it. I mean, it is only a glorified friendly against Germany, but it's against Germany nonetheless. And I think after the game against Hungary, which was one of the most dullest games that I've ever watched in my whole entire life, I think the, the lads would have been looking forward to playing a, a team like Germany where there's a little bit more riding on it. Yes, like I said, it is a friendly, but it's against Germany, so it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's a big game in in, um, in the context of things. And I think, yeah, I think they'll be, they'll be okay with the 1-1 draw. I mean, Germany did boss the ball. Um, England had more shots, but Germany, you know, had the... The, the lion's share of the possession and um, yeah I, th- I think I think a one-one draw was a fair result and I think Pickford can uh, can hold his head up high after you know the season he's had for Everton I think he'll forgive himself quite quickly for the uh, the mistake for Hoffman's goal. Yeah, for me the difference came when England took off Mason Mount and brought on Jack Grealish. Um, I wonder why Gareth Southgate doesn't start Jack Grealish more because as soon as he started occupying those spaces on the left-hand side for England and cutting in, he made a real big difference. And in the end, the penalty actually came, which England scored from. We'll come on to whether it was a penalty or not in a minute. But the reason it came and, and that momentum that England had going forward and probably some of their best chances to even win the game towards the end came because Grealish was introduced. So he made a massive difference for me, Ian. Do you think he should start more for England? Are you surprised why he doesn't? I'm, I'm surprised when you consider his his value, when you consider that he plays for the champions of, of England, um, that there won't be many other countries that wouldn't start a player of that stature. If you know what I mean, I know that you know transfer values and all that should should take the rest. But can you imagine any other team? Can you imagine Germany not starting the most valuable player in 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 their country who who played for say um, I don't know Bayern Munich, whoever that would be, 
and and them not featuring in the side starting it it does seem a bit weird that but I, I suppose maybe it's just that how do you get everybody in you put you put him in who do you leave out it's that perpetual conversation that we always seem to have with England um and sometimes but that said we, we've had this so-called golden generation in the past we've we've gone on reputation we've gone on names and they haven't delivered either so you know um with the exception of the hungry match recently um on on balance as far as the results go gareth southgate has sort of a knack of grinding the results out it's not always pretty but it tends to get the job done regardless of what we say yeah i think what's really interesting is if we rewind it back to something we were discussing on Monday, and that's Gareth Southgate, and he's quite a defensive manager naturally, having been a centre back himself when he was a player. And, you know, a few people are a little bit frustrated with the way the England team plays just because there's so much good attacking talent and promising talent in the ranks that, you know, we do play with the three at the back and a couple of holding midfield players, and it is quite defensive at times. But Jim made a good point, and he said, well, international football in general is slower. And, you know, the teams that win tournaments generally tend to have the tightest defences and they go and pinch goals. They You very rarely see a team win a tournament where they go and absolutely steamroll everyone, probably aside from, aside from Spain in recent years when they would just pass their way around everyone. So with that in mind, I mean, it, it almost makes Grealish look even more exciting on the international stage, I guess, Matt, because he's got this ability to be able to just do what Jack Grealish does, which is get on the ball, be exciting, try and take players on, which is something we don't really see that much of in the international game. At least maybe that's a comparison that I've drawn. Yeah, because we've seen in the, in the Premier League, especially with this season with Manchester City, he's, um, as soon as he gets the ball, he's got two or three players around him trying to you know nick at him and stuff like that. But when it comes to international stage, he has a little bit more time to do things, a little bit more time to run at players because they seem to step off in him, just give him that little space to run into. I mean, I, I see when um, when we played Germany in the um, the quarterfinals of the Euros, um, he came on and I think he assisted Sterling for the first goal. He did, yeah. yeah. And he absolutely ran Germany ragged down that left-hand side and we've seen glimpses of it for Manchester City this season and hopefully next season, you know, he's he, he, he gets his... He's at he's he's together in that respect. He's not had a bad season, but I think he's had a below-par season uh, by his standards. But yeah, he's one of these Grealish. He's, he's an explosive. Once he, he gets the ball and he drives forward, there's, there's very little that can stop him. And this is why teams do the things that they do, like use two, two against him, double up on him. And he definitely did have a, a positive impact on the team last night. Like we said... England's football like, is is very sort of like defensive, very pragmatic, and we tend to switch formation quite a lot. But whenever Grealish gets on the ball and on the pitch, we feel like something's going to happen. We we felt that in the Euros last season, and I think it obviously yeah. about. Do you think opposition players feel that as well, Matt? Do you think opposition players think, oh, here's Grealish, he's going to yeah, make a difference? I think because is... obviously against Germany, he's done it before, yeah. so. Yeah, I think there's a fair. I think there's a fair factor there. Hundred percent. You don't. You don't go and do that against Germany if you're not one of the the best players in the team. Definitely not. And Germany obviously had one of their full strength teams out that day. It wasn't a friendly. It was a, a major game in an international tournament. So if you if you've got nothing about it, you're not going to go on the pitch and do what he did on that day. So I think that was in the back of their minds. So yeah, it was it was nice to see Jack Grealish get some minutes on the pitch, and I think it was Gareth Southgate that was in his press conference when people were saying like, um, "Why aren't you, why aren't you picking Jack Grealish?" I think this was um, at the start of the Euros. People said, "Why aren't you picking Jack Grealish?" Because he had a, a great season for Villa, obviously helped keep them up in the Premier League. 
And this time around, you know, twelve months later, people say, "Well, why, why, why are you, uh, why are you putting Jack Grealish in your starting eleven? Why, why are you going to pick him?" And, and he was saying, "I'm damned if I don't, and I'm damned if I do." So I think he sort of proved a little bit of a point last night by bringing Grealish on when he did and having the, the impact that he did, and I expect him to to start the next game. Yeah, I thought what was interesting, something that Southgate said was uh, he thinks Jack Grealish needs to improve tactically to get himself in the starting eleven for England, and I think I don't know how I feel about that because. Are we considering Southgate this tactical genius? I think he made a mess of the Euro final. I think England should really have beaten Italy. And, um, you know, England took the lead after two minutes and he tried to sit back and defend a 1-0 lead for 88 minutes or whatever it was. I don't think we had a shot on target after the goal in 88 minutes of football and all of extra time. So I think it's one of those where you have to... You have to kind of take that with a pinch of salt because under Pep Guardiola, he's working under one of the best tactical minds in the game. And yet he's saying that Jack Grealish needs to be more tactically aware. I'm not sure whether that's a quote taken out of context. I haven't actually watched the press conference, but I thought that was an interesting comment. But we'll leave Jack Grealish for now. I just think in general, some of the players looked a little bit jaded, Ian. They they looked tired. At least that's how it looked to me. Maybe that's just a product of international football. I don't know. But it could well be the product of the fact that some of these players that we've seen for both sides last night have just come off the back of a 60-game season that finished only a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's it's a long time. Um, usually, June, July, they'd be uh, you know swanning off to to Barbados and jumping off a pontoon <laughs> outside the Sandy Lane Hotel or whatever it is that they would be doing. Um, they're not. Obviously, it is in that it is a weird time to be having internationals, certainly competitive internationals. That's not. Uh, you know, a World Cup or uh, a European tournament, you know, I mean, I know that they're not friendlies, but still, it's a funny time to be jamming these fixtures in, really. And of course, that's because the World Cup's in a funny place as well later in the year. So it's sort of a, a swapsy, isn't it, for that kind of autumn international break, I suppose, or winter international break is has been replaced with the World Cup. Yeah, they're going to be tired. You would be, uh, you know, because it's not just the games. It's the, you know, they're still going out training and running 5K, 10K a day or whatever it is that they do. You know, it's it's not like uh, they don't they do not do anything in between matches. They're very busy. There's a lot of fitness work involved as well as the, you know, practice matches and stuff that they play in. Um, so, yeah, it's understandable that they're jaded. I think we all are. We, you know, it's, 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 it's not, unless there's a big tournament, it's not a natural time to be talking about football, really. You know, the speculation this time of year is usually on transfer markets and, you know, looking in the glossy mags as to uh, where they've gone on holiday and all that kind of stuff. But uh, (laughs) no, they're they're playing Germany. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I just think that, I mean, I've said this a few times. I just think the season starts too early, even earlier now this summer. It's the first week of August because of the World Cup and finishes too late. Um, And, you know, listen, if you play football for a living and you get paid tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, it's kind of part of the territory, isn't it? The sacrifices you make in order to be remunerated that well are to play games all throughout the year. And, you know, you kind of get a small pre-season break or off-season break of a couple of weeks and then you're back in for pre-season, which again is pushed earlier this year because of the World Cup. So I think that there is a case of players looking tired and, and a little bit disillusioned just purely because... If you remember when the pandemic came, which was March 2020, we then had Project Restart in the July of 2020 June, or June, yeah, June June or whatever yeah. it was. So two years ago this month. And then it's basically been straight through. You've had a whole season. You've then had a summer Euro tournament. We've had another whole season. Now we've got the Nations League. Then there's going to be another half a season. 
Um, and then the World Cup. So it's been like two and a half years of solid football. So no wonder they look a little bit tired. Now, let's talk about someone who still performed, though, throughout that period of time. And he performed again last night, despite the fact he did miss a few chances. Scored England's goal, his 50th in a three-line shirt. We'll talk about him and that record in a second. But first of all, was it a penalty, Matt? You've seen the replays. You've seen all the angles. Do you think it was a spot kick? Well, VAR seems to think so, and I thought so as well, because you see Slotterbeck is, is behind Kane, and he, he he just loses his footing, and listen, we, we've seen Harry Kane do it for Tottenham in the Premier League, he's, he's, he's very like sort of astute and clever, like whenever he feels a little bit of contact, he'll seem to, he'll, he'll go down and he'll do it in a way that, that looks completely natural, and people might say, well, that's, that's, not, that's not what the game's about, that's like sort of like gamesmanship, but look, this is what these players are taught nowadays, especially by coaches, like I remember Mourinho saying it in his um, the All or Nothing documentary, about if you feel something, you just go down, you give the referee a decision to make, because the referee has to make a decision, obviously VAR have to look at it as well, but VAR seemed to agree, and yeah, Harry Kane, yeah, he deserved, he deserved his goal on the night, like we said, he missed a few chances, but Again, he's had a, a great season for Tottenham, helping to get to the Champions League. So fair play to him, and it's his 50th goal in the three Lions jerseys. Yeah, he's 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 well on his way to to possibly going breaking a couple more records in his career. If obviously he stays injury free and he uh, he keeps up his consistent run of form, he's got a big season ahead of him, Harry Kane, because he he had a lot of criticism. Um, at the start of the season, we all know that Harry Kane's August usually doesn't start well, but. He's um he had the the whole transfer malarkey with going to Manchester City was he or wasn't he but he just got his head down and done his job and he said I'm going to commit my my time now to Spurs and I'm going to do my best to get the club where it deserves to be I'm fighting for trophies and he's got them in the Champions League next season I think which was good obviously a bare minimum really for Tottenham if you think about it. if they would have missed out on the Champions League it would have been catastrophic for them but yeah they've got a, a good season to look forward to now they're back in the uh, the big time in the Champions League and they'll, they'll make a few signings and Harry Kane will want better players around him obviously he's got good players around him already but they'll want it they'll want to build on the squad for next season possibly challenge for more trophies so yeah, he's um he played well Harry Kane last night. He um he deserved his goal and he's like I said, he's he's very clever with the, the things that he does in the box and if he feels a little bit contact, he's got every single right to go down. I'm gonna deviate a little bit now and go on a bit of a sidewinder just whilst you mentioned Harry Kane and you being a Manchester City fan, Matt. Obviously you mentioned the failed move to Manchester City, which is what he wanted, is what Man City wanted. It it never came off. This was last summer, and obviously he started the season sluggishly at Tottenham. I think there was a bit of a hangover from that failed move. But he picked himself up and he performed and he ended up helping Spurs get into the Champions League. But a year down the line, Manchester City, although they've yet to announce it, have signed Erling Haaland. Are you happier now as a City fan that you've waited a year, won the title and you've got Erling Haaland coming in? The both, when you look at the both of them, they're both very, very gifted centre-forwards. And Harry Kane tends to get more involved with the build-up rather than Haaland who's just an explosive pace, likes to get into the box nice and early ahead of his centre-half markers and just, you know, and get the ball in the back of the net. Like I said, Kane likes to get involved with the build-up. But I'm happier that we've waited for another year because we've got a younger centre-forward. He's got links to the club. He's an absolute star in the making. I mean, he's only 21, 22 years old. And I don't know if you've seen him for, um, for Norway the other night against Sweden. I don't know if you watched his highlights, but... The man is an absolute machine. He's like a robot. I see him get into the box and he has no right to beat his centre-half to the ball. He maybe gives them five or six-yard head start and he just beats every single man to that ball. He wants that ball more than every other man. And when you look at Man City's style of play, we've scored 99 goals in the Premier League last season without a natural striker. 
and how many times we spam crosses into the box waiting for someone to get on the end of them and because the lads that are in there are false nines not natural instinctive centre forwards like an Aguero the ball flies across the box and no one's there but if you've got Erling Haaland in there next season with De Bruyne on the ball whipping them in, the, in for fun he can beat players in the air he's strong he's quick he's powerful honestly Niall it's been the most exciting time for me as a Man City fan for a, a, a fair few years now because obviously we've had this squad now for a while. We've had Aguero for the last 10 years. We've had no one really come in and sort of challenging for that centre-forward spot. Although when Jesus came in initially in uh, 2016, he was probably he had Aguero out the side a little bit more, but then we got to see that he's not the, the, the sort of mould that Sergio Aguero is. Also, we've got Julian Alvarez coming from River Plate. We've had clubs that wanted to take him on loan clubs like Marseille, but Manchester City have said, no, we're not letting you because the lad is absolutely mustard. He's, when I look at him, I just see a, a younger version of Sergio Aguero. He likes to finish at the near post. He's aggressive. He likes to hang on the, the, last sh- the shoulder of the last defender. And we've got him and Haaland coming in next season. Honestly, Niall, if we play like we did last season in terms of getting the ball into the box, hopefully our style of play doesn't change too much. Obviously, it's going to have to change a little bit because... You know, we're incorporating actual centre-forwards into our team now, not false nines. But if we just keep doing what we did last season, getting the ball into dangerous areas, I honestly, I can't just see anything other than us dominating next season. I really can't. That's not me being arrogant because, obviously, a Manchester City fan, arrogance isn't in my DNA. It's not in my makeup. I've always been humble in that respect. But if things go to but plan, if things go to plan, yeah, with the team that you've got. Absolutely. Yeah. And at £53 million, obviously, you get add-ons and stuff like that, but that's an absolute steal an absolute steal for one of the, the world's best centre-forwards already at 21 years old. And like I said, he's a, he's been a City fan growing up as a kid. Listen, Ian, I know he was born in Leeds. His dad, you know, Leeds legend. But obviously, when when you when you see him as a kid, he's always had City kits on. And he he, he, um, he was on the pitch when we, we lifted Division 1 trophy in 2002 <laughs> against Portsmouth, actually, that was, Niall. <laughs> was it Dave Besson? Dave Besson was in net for years. And I remember yeah. he, he, he saved the penalty from Stuart Pearce on his last ever game. And I was at, I was in the Kipax that game, and I remember that was the first time I ever seen City lift the trophy, and there was like a three or four year old Erling Haaland on the pitch that day, and who would have thought, you know, you know the way things happen, he's now Manchester City's prize asset, and obviously they can't announce it yet for legal reasons, but I don't know if you've seen it on his Instagram story, he was playing Oasis in the dressing room, he's giving little hints there that he's on his way, and I can't wait for the the season to start. Now, honestly, I'm absolutely buzzing, mate. You talk about Haaland being pictured in a Manchester City kit when he was younger. Harry Kane, let's go back to him quite funnily. He was pictured in an Arsenal kit uh, when he was a young lad, but he's certainly Tottenham through and through now. 50th England goal, as we say. He's gone past Bobby Charlton or Sir Bobby Charlton, I should say, with that 50th goal, Ian. He's four behind Wayne Rooney, who is the all-time England leading goal scorer. He's going to get past that mark, isn't he? Um, And regardless of whether he does or he doesn't, let's presume he does, is he already one of England's best ever players? And he's not even 30 yet. Yeah, he has to be. Because how do you judge one of England's best ever players? You know, usually it's when stats get produced years down the line. And uh, and, and, and that's what we've just done with Wayne Rooney. And, and, and I think aside from if England actually go on to, to, to win a a trophy, a, you know, a World Cup or a European Cup or something like that, then, it, it, you know, in, immediately you're, you're elevated into to one of the greats. But until that happens, bearing in mind that England qualified for, uh, you know, that, that Euro final 
Um, they're going to have a good crack at getting to the World Cup final, I'm sure. They nearly did it in the last World Cup, um, and he was part of that. Um, 50 goals, as you say, still relatively young for a footballer. You'd think he's got at least another 10 years left uh, at the top level if he if he keeps going the way he is, and there's no reason to think that wouldn't be the case. So, yeah, he is going to go down. Well, he is already going down in history, but yeah. he's, he's going to extend that. He, he's probably going to overtake Wayne Rooney, you would think, and... Mm probably go on to be um, one of England's greatest ever players. And Do you think he'll overtake Shearer in the Premier League? Goals well, that's the chance. question, isn't it? I think I think he's got a good chance. And, and the reason that I think that is because he's a very similar player, I think, to Alan Shearer in the fact that the type of goals he gets, um, a fair amount of the goals that he's getting are penalties. Mm. And rightly or wrongly, uh, that's how um, Alan Shearer did it. You know, all these goals Alan Shearer scored, a lot of them were penalties. Yeah, uh, A lot of them weren't, a lot of them weren't, but a lot of them were. And, and the, the types of goals that Harry Kane's getting, he's getting a good amount of penalties. He's very good from the penalty spot. He's good at winning penalties. Uh, and he's good at taking the chances when they come. He can score with his feet. He can score with his head. And for that reason, that's why I think he's probably the closest we've got uh, now to, to, to Alan Shearer. So in terms of style, I think there's no reason why he can't. Marley's going to kill me for saying this. I think Kane is better than Shearer from what I've seen. I think I think he probably is because he's in a different era as well. You know, that that was then. Shearer was and, class, and, by the way. 260 yeah. oh, goals. Yeah. That's just Premier League goals. That doesn't include he was a before nightmare. 92 when they changed the Premier League. So he's got he's probably yeah. on about 290, something like that, from his old Division 1 goals. So he's yeah. undoubtedly a top player. But from what I saw of Shearer was when I was probably the later half of his, the second half of his career rather than the first half. I've watched Harry Kane go from people calling him a one-season wonder to him putting the ball down on the penalty spot last night against Germany. And I had no fears as an England fan that he was going to blaze it over the bar or he was going to hit the post, mm-hmm. which knew he was going to score. And I very rarely have felt that about an England striker. Um, the only other person would, would probably have been Shearer, <laughs> which is yeah, quite yeah. incidental, funnily enough. But Shearer's up there on 260. Kane's on 183. This is Premier League goals. Aguero's on 184. Andy Cole on 187. So he's going to get past those guys. It's just a question of whether he can score another 80 goals. I well I think he can. I th- I think you know a steady season if he plays for another 10 years and even even getting on you know staying under the 20 goal mark he, he's going to do that, isn't he? If he keeps going in the same sort of form he is, he's going to absolutely cruise it. Um based based on Does he that. stay at Tottenham for the rest of his career though? Does he stay at Tottenham for the rest of his career? Well, do you think so? I think he will I think, now. Yeah. I think last season uh, unless... Do you reckon that was his last chance saloon to, to get a big move to a to a, a more sort of like you know um, Premier League club that's went up challenging for trophies? Well, that Is might that, be Tottenham. I mean, that him? might be Tottenham under Conte. We don't know. I mean, they need to win some sort of trophy. We've said this loads, but you know, Tottenham are a side in which he can operate and be the main man and be the main centre forward. And I actually saw a statistic, which I think is quite a nice way to wrap up this whole debate, which is. The last player to win the golden boot in a title winning mm. side. Do you know who it was? Um, Not Alan Shearer. Wasn't Jamie Vardy, was it? It was Robin Van Persie for Man United in 2012-2013. Oh, so you're right, looking yeah, at 10 right, years okay. now. So in Ooh. terms of how the game's changed, centre-forwards, like you've mentioned a minute ago with Man City and then playing a false nine, it's almost as if you know you can be a top goal scorer in the premier league but you don't have to win the title for that to be the case it, you know it seems like the old number 9s are kind of dying out and you're too up front you don't really see that anymore so 
Yeah, I mean, Kane's definitely got the chance to do that. And in terms of his England credentials, he is the captain of the nation and he's only four goals away from being the all-time top scorer. His goal in Munich last night was enough to tie things up in that Nations League game away in Germany. 1-1, it finished there. And next up for England during this international break is Italy, which I think is this weekend coming up. Uh, That's it for the England-Germany chat for now, though. We're going to talk about some transfer gossip and Harry Kane's club, Tottenham, are in the news on the back pages. We'll talk about that next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to take a look at some of the transfer gossip doing the rounds on the back pages and, of course, on the trusty internet uh, when it comes to Premier League players. And we're going to start with Manchester City, who have denied that they're interested in a move for Arsenal's young player, Bukayo Saka, played for England last night. He's only 20 years of age. Uh, City have come out and denied this, Matt. Why do you think that Saka was linked with City? Do you think he's got the right attributes to fit into your team if it was to be a move that went went ahead? I think it all depends on what happens with Raheem Sterling or Gabriel Jesus because they're both wingers for us. We've both played on the left or the right for us. And when you look at Sterling and Saka, they're very similar in respect that they like to be aggressive and they like to just to run at players and use their pace to their advantage. And obviously Saka's got a few years on Sterling. Like I say, he's only 20, 20 years old. Sterling 26, 27 now. Um, and I think Saka is a little bit better at finishing than Sterling. And I say this because look at Sterling's numbers and you'll probably say, Matt, what you're talking about, you, you're talking rubbish. But what I'm saying is he's a little bit more composed in the box. Now, you give Sterling time in the box and you watch him, his legs and his head seem to disconnect from each other. And he does something that's just completely random. He'll 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 try and pass the ball one one too many times, or he'll take two one too many touches and chop it back. Whereas Saka, he seems to be a little bit more just direct and wanting to shoot and wanting just to put the ball in the net. Now, if that was to happen, if we was to get Saka, I wouldn't be moaning. And I can see exactly why Manchester City would be interested in him. He's a good young English talent. It's the same why we're interested in, and I know Ian's not going to be happy with this, Calvin Phillips. We were losing Fernandinho. He's been one of the most consistent defensive midfielders we have had. He's been at the club for nine years and all of a sudden we're losing him. So this is why we're interested in these players because Manchester City now, they're a club that want to replace as soon as they lose something. They want to keep that going. They don't want to have a weaker squad than the last season. They want to have a stronger squad than the last season. They want to keep progressing. And these players, like now, like, like Saka, like Phillips, they're in the England squad right now and they're very, very good players. They're very, very good, talented players. And why wouldn't they want to be at Manchester City right now? If Manchester City came in and was interested, why wouldn't they want to come? Obviously, the clubs have got to agree terms. The players have got to agree terms. But I can see exactly why Manchester City would be interested in Bakayo Saka. He's got everything that we'd want if we were to lose a Jesus or a Sterling. He's aggressive, he's, he's young and he's quick and he's got a lot of time to develop. Think about when Sterling first had, was under Pep Guardiola in 17-18... Um, um, 18-19 those were two of Sterling's best seasons for Manchester City he was explosive he had the um, he had the composure and he helped score some big goals and helped us win league titles but I think now I think it's just it's got to the point now with Sterling where I don't think he can do any more for us in that respect obviously if he stays then I'll, I'll support him and I'll, I'll back him 150% but if he was to leave I wouldn't be too surprised. And if he was to leave, Bakayo Saka would be a magnificent replacement for him. 
Yeah, I think this is an interesting one for me because you mentioned about how City might need to plug holes or fill gaps should players leave. But even though City's an attractive proposition for any player because it pretty much guarantees that you're going to pick up medals and silverware at the very least, for someone like Bukayo Saka, who's only 20, as we say, Ian, gets regular games for Arsenal... I mean, Arsenal confident that he's going to sign a new deal, by the way. So do you think that the Emirates is the best place for him right now at this stage in his career? Because as good as he is, and he's an England regular and an Arsenal regular starter, is he just going to come into Man City and start all of their games in a season? I don't think he is, because that's just not how Pep works. Whereas at Arsenal, he seems to get games every week and is so important to them, even at, at just 20. So do you think Arsenal is the best place for him right now? I think it, yeah, it, it, it's it's certainly not a bad place to be, is it? You know, Arsenal are a, are a big club. It's not like he's sort of bumbling around with with one of the teams down the bottom or anything like that. You know, they're a big club. They've, they're um, great supports. International name is in a decent side with decent players. He's getting regular game time, as you say, and it's all about the experience, isn't it? That's what he's got to do. And as you say, bench warming or playing in the under 23 for Man City or something like that's not really going to be right for him. He's in the England squad. And I think to stay in the England squad, and if he wants to play in the World Cup, he needs to be playing regularly. The more you play, the more chance you've got of playing in the in the bigger games. Um, we know that uh, it, you know the, the last international tournament that he was part of, it was a bit of a learning curve in terms of the pressure and some of the criticism he faced you know, in that penalty shootout and all. Um, so he'll be better for that. He'll be a stronger player for that for when the World Cup comes around and and I think you're seeing it with with not we're not just uh him but with, with with many players now you know they they want to have regular football um with the World Cup coming up you know they want to they want to be playing regularly uh in in whatever side that is and um in, in many ways as long as you're playing in the Premier League it doesn't matter which team you're playing for because you, you're getting out there you're getting on the telly you, your coach can see you and keeping the keeping the frame Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to interest me for this England versus Italy game, which is coming up. Is Gareth Southgate going to play Tamori? Is he going to play Tammy Abraham? You know, they've got experience with the Italian league and having played against the players that England are going to come up against. Or is it just going to be the Premier League rules all and the Premier League dominates? Because I think in terms of the quality of the Premier League, we all agree that it's probably more competitive than any other top European league but that's not to say that the players that are playing their trade abroad like Jude Bellingham for example who played last night um, that's not to say that they're not up to the task I just think I just think it's a really interesting dynamic actually which is one we'll come on to uh, I'm sure down the line here on Football Social Daily so Saka is linked with Manchester City City have denied that they're interested I'm sure they might be in the future because he's a good player as Matt says and Arsenal are actually confident that he's going to put pen to paper on a new contract But from one side of North London to the other, Tottenham have expressed an interest in another English forward. And this time it's Manchester United's Marcus Rashford, which is quite a surprising little transfer link that I've seen pop up today. That would be one of the biggest moves of the summer, if true, Ian. But is that one that you can see happening? Well, I kind of can see it happening <laughs> in a way. Um, obviously, you know, we're talking about getting regular time. While ever Son and... Uh, Harry Kane are going to be playing. Obviously, he's 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 going to be behind them, uh, depending on on the sort of formation they play. They might be playing three strikers, I suppose. Um, it would be a big move for him. Um, and again, you know, if he, if if he's guaranteed to play a certain amount of fixtures with the with the World Cup in mind, uh, and and he's out of favour 
at Old Trafford, then it's got to be a good move for him, hasn't it? You know, anything that gets him on the pitch and playing more regularly with whoever that is, has got to be good for him as a player. Uh, as you say, that his last season wasn't the best, but we know the talent that's in there. And maybe after a bit of a break um, and, you know, potentially if he, if he does end up playing somewhere else, that could rejuvenate him a little bit. I think Man United's been a funny place to be this last year, it seems. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things go, not necessarily in this season ahead even, because as you know, I think it takes a time for new managers to really make an impact. And, you know, you might be looking six months or a year down the line yet before Ten Hag's real stamp is is put on that team and, and things really do change as he ships people out he doesn't want and gets the people in that he does want. It's not an overnight process and it certainly isn't a one transfer window thing. So be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I think it would be a big move, of course, if it happened and even bigger if there's a big price tag attached to it. Um, again, as with many of these names that are being floated around at the moment, whilst the price tag to do the transfer isn't necessarily always big. It's sometimes the wages, isn't it? And, and you know, a club like Tottenham would be able to sustain a decent wage packet. Yeah, well, we know Antonio Conte is looking for new players. We also know that there's been 150 million of new capital invested into the club. That's Tottenham in order to try and sign some new faces. Could Rashford be one of them? For me, Matt, it seems impossible to imagine him playing anywhere other than Manchester United, just purely because of the way he's an academy lad. He's come through the club. You know, he's from South Manchester. Um, he's had a bad season, there's no doubt about it. He's, he's not been great this year, but is that all it is? Every player can have a bad season. Um, there's still a player in there for me, and a new manager at Manchester United, as Ian says, a fresh start, potentially a chance to get back to where he was. Um, it feels like no Premier League club wouldn't be interested in Rashford because everyone knows how good he can be. He's just had a bit of a bad season. So what do you think? I think it's um, yeah, it's just a bad season for Marcus. We know the talent that he has. He's only 24 years old. And if we remember the last Dutch manager to manage Manchester United, Louis van Gaal was the one that brought him in. He, he was, what, 17, 18 years old and he, he took the world by storm, scored that brace against Arsenal in his Premier League debut. And the rest has been history for him. He's won FA Cups, he's won Europa Leagues. There's still a player in there. And people have criticised him for his, his stuff that he's doing away from football, you know, like when he's he's trying to help, you know, help disadvantaged families feed the children and stuff like that. And people say he needs to focus on his football. Look, at the end of the day, football is his job. It's, it's, it's his bread and butter. But that doesn't mean that he can't do stuff away from the pitch that's going to help benefit other people. That's I don't think that's any, any effect on what's happened on the pitch. Like we was just discussing there, I think it's just a bad season. Every player can have it, it doesn't matter how good you are. Every player is susceptible to having a bad season. And, I mean, under the managers that he's had, under Solskjaer, under um, Ranjit this season, we know it's the football hasn't been great. It's probably not played to his strengths. He's, he sort of likes to come in off the left, cutting on his right foot, but he's, he's, he's still good at getting into the box as well and, and putting the ball in the net from there. And, I mean, his goals return this season has been nowhere near good enough. But, like we were just discussing, he's got a fresh start now with um, Ten Hag coming in. Ten Hag likes to work with younger players. He likes to play a more attacking style of football. You know, we've seen that with the, the Ajax team in the Champions League in eighteen nineteen. Some of the best football I've seen. And if Ten Hag can bring in the players that he wants, and Man United can bring in the players that he wants, you know, that's good. That's going to be another boost for Rashford because he's got a better players working with him. Man United are letting players go now and they seem to like getting the memo on, you know, not letting things stagnate, just moving on, evolving as a football club. And, you know, 
I'm a Manchester City fan, obviously. Man United's downfall has been quite enjoyable for me to watch. But I do respect Marcus Rashford as a human being as a foot and as a footballer and he's a very talented individual. And I think if he sticks around with Man United next season, I think it, it will benefit him working with a fresh perspective, a fresh manager and um, a fresh squad of players. Yeah, it's very much a strange thing in football where, you know, even just kind of continuing the thread of international football that we've had throughout this podcast, people are saying about, you know, who's Gareth Southgate going to pick for the World Cup in Qatar? Well, he's got to take this player because they're in good form. But even though the difference between seasons is, what, a month and a half, it is almost like a clean break. Someone who might be in form in October for the World Cup um, might not have been informed at the end of last season. Someone might explode onto the scene, you never know. Um, but Tottenham have allegedly expressed an interest in Rashford, but I can't see that one going ahead personally. That's just my opinion. We're going to stick with uh, Tottenham, though, and a possible outgoing. This time, Harry Winks. And according to The Telegraph, Everton have earmarked the Spurs midfielder as someone they could possibly bring into Goodison Park. Of course, Frank Lampard looking to try and reconstruct some momentum and a bit of confidence as well after Everton just about stayed up in the Premier League this season. Terrible season for them as well. Do you think Everton need a bunch of new players, Ian? Because they seem to do this every transfer window. They go into the market, they buy three or four new players. Everyone says, oh, they're good signings. And then they end up finishing mid-table or as the case was in the last season we've just seen, they finished just above the relegation zone. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a little bit of consistency would be good. Um, Everton do seem to like taking um, players on um, uh, whenever they can, <laughs> shall we say. But, um, I mean, Harry Winks was was rumoured to be joining them last season, wasn't he? Um, and, and he was offered around a number of clubs. I know that in the last transfer window, uh, the uh, what the January transfer window, because I think he was offered to Leeds and Bielsa turned him down and he was being touted around a number of clubs. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I, I don't think it really stuck, but I think the wage bill was pretty big. I think that was one of the things that put Leeds off. He was on an absolute fortune. So yeah, you could kind of have the player, but yeah, there was a big price tag attached and, yeah, Bielsa turned him down. Um, but uh, that was in the days when Leeds rejected every player they were offered. But now they're uh, opening up their minds and they've signed <laughs> two. Yeah, that's two. Man United, two players signed. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, he's a good player, uh, but I think there's more to that one than meets the eye. I think uh, it seems to me that Spurs are quite happy to to, to, to get Harry Winks out rather than Everton necessarily to get him in. I think he's, uh, his agent maybe is working overtime there. Do you know what? It's hard to know, Ian. I don't know if you agree. What Everton's expectations, style, blueprint is mm. under Frank Lampard? Because almost well, it's just he... it's just Frank Lampard's Everton. That is the plan. Yeah, Frank Lampard's Everton. Wayne Rooney's that's, Derby. That's the official name. That's the, yeah. that's the official name for it. I mean, I just don't know what. I don't know what to expect from them. What's what's Everton's style of play? I know that they've changed it slightly from Benitez to Lampard. Lampard's a little bit more open and likes to play the ball on the ground whereas Benitez is very much defensively minded defence first but it's hard to know what we're going to see from from Lampard in terms of a, a style just purely because if you think of someone like um, I don't know like Arteta for example we know that he's worked under Pep Guardiola so he's going to try and play a similar style but Chelsea and Lampard when he was there had so many different managers um, they were just generally a good football team. Uh, we know what Mourinho was about, but all of the others, for me, it's quite difficult to, to almost, apart from Conte, because we see him now, it's hard to almost pinpoint what the style is. So with so many managers that he's worked under, I just wonder what Lampard is looking for. 
because he signed players like Van der Beek on loan, didn't really mm. play him. Signed Deli Ali, didn't yeah. really play him. So, so what's the kind of plan, I suppose? Well, that well, that's exactly the thing. You know, Van der Beek was offered at the same time, and 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 as Harry Winks, and it was it was I think they had the choice of which one they were going to go for. So it was the same sort of thing, really. These players. I don't know, it just seems a little bit like there's various agents who are going to Everton saying, well, I've got this player, I can get you this player, and it's sort of a bit of a conveyor belt, and they're just grabbing who they fancy, kind of like the, the Yo Sushi of football, and uh, they're sort of assembling a team out of that. As you say, there's, it, they haven't got a regular kind of style that you really associate them with, apart from just trying not to get beat. Uh, which is, you know, sort of did them well in the, in the final few weeks, but you, you always felt there's a bit more luck than judgment about it. You know, they, they got the results, but you're not really sure how they got them. You, it, it's not like, with, as you say, with some teams, it might not be working out, but at least you know what they're trying to do. I mean, with Everton, it just seems like they're just trying to score goals and trying to let as few in as possible, and it's a little bit haphazard. And they're getting names in there who, again, their reputation might go before them, but are they really delivering on what created that reputation? I think with Lampard, it's going to be an interesting one because... I think with, sorry, I think with Lampard, I think he's got a, um, a, January, um, a summer transfer window now to, to get players in. Obviously, he didn't have a full season last season. I think you can judge him in the next one uh, year, two years, if he's still at the club, if obviously things don't go wrong for him. He's a young manager. We've we've seen him with Derby County. We've seen him for Chelsea. It didn't work out there. And he's got a team now at Everton that have just fought relegation and you know stayed in the Premier League, which is a huge thing for them. They've been linked with players like Harry Harry Winks, who's not fancied at Tottenham anymore. He only played nineteen games in the Premier League last season. He was fancied under Mourinho, but obviously Conte doesn't want him. I think under a, a manager like Frank Lampard, who knows what it's like to play in midfield like a, as a goal scorer, I think Harry Winks has got time now to, to go there. If he does go there, like I say, he's only 26 years old. He's got time to go there and improve because he's not getting the game time at Tottenham now. And Lampard's now got this, this transfer window to bolster his squad. He'll have money to spend. Everton always seems to have money to spend. I don't know where to get it from. But he's now got the time to to build a philosophy if if he gets given the time next season if things don't go wrong for him he's got time to build a philosophy and build a blueprint for everything like we were saying there boys he was just trying to survive last season I don't think there was any game plan whatsoever I think it was just get the ball to Richarlison or get the ball to Iwobi get the ball to Calvert-Lewin etc etc I think next season you'll see a bit more of an idea, a little bit more of a plan with him. I hope he does well. I've got a lot of admiration and respect for Lampard as a manager and as a, a former you know, professional footballer. I want, it, I, I want him to do well and hopefully it all works out for him next season. Yeah, I'm quite interested to hear from Evertonians. My uncle's a big Everton fan actually and I haven't asked him yet what is the plan, the expectation for next season and beyond that moving into the new ground? Like they've just finished above the relegation zone. They were very much a contender to go down for most of the season. And are they expecting to get straight back into the top 10 next year? Would they be happy with a lower mid-table finish? Like it's almost impossible to know what their expectations are as a fan base. Are they a divided fan base? Because how out of kilter has that finished last season Ian thrown their ambitions out by it's, it's almost impossible to tell from a neutral perspective they need to build a solid team that's not going to get tanked every other week you know that's what they that's what they need to do because that is what's costing them and as as Leeds proved last season it's all right winning games that you know obviously you want to do that but getting absolutely mullered 
every, every other fortnight when you come up against a big team. It's no fun. And and it's not to say that you're going to go and start steamrollering Man City and Liverpool all of a sudden, because that's not going to happen. But it's just damage limitation, because, I mean, Leeds almost went down on goal difference. And that was from being steamrolled by Man City and Liverpool and Man United you know, at the start of the season. And it, 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 that, that kind of stuff stays with you. And I don't buy this thing where fans will go, oh, yeah, well, it's the start of the season. There's a long way to go. Every point counts. Every goal counts just the same at the end of the season as it is at the start. And, and so, you know, you, you've got to build strength. We're seeing it now... Um, I know that Leeds United are, are, are making some really good signings, actually, and they've got this this guy who they've just signed from, uh, well, signing him today, Rasmus Christensen, who is a is a, a Danish, I think it's Danish international. He's an absolute, he's absolute, he's an absolute case. There's this video going around of him standing on top of the uh, the table in the dressing room, screaming and shouting and singing songs. He's going to fit right in, but he's a really good defender. Like, really good. One of these kind of, like, money ball sort of signings. The, the stats are there, and in a year from now, people are going to be going, wow, that guy's a unit. And so it's these kind, these, kind of, these kind of players that, you know, you have to go and find them. You can't just go around saying, oh, well, he's free from that club, or he's free from that club. You've got to go and find these players. And I think, to be fair, it's looking pretty good for Leeds at the moment filling these gaps but that's what Everton needs to do you need to build strength it doesn't have to be household names all the time it's a know. great point because when was the last time Everton actually did that I think their last properly good signing was probably Alan but he only arrived from Napoli because Carlo Ancelotti was there and you know he knew him and knew how much of a, a success he was the other would probably be Richarlison who they signed from Watford who was in everyone's eye line anyway because he was playing in the Premier League at the time I'm just struggling to think of the last time Everton signed a player from um, overseas or the championship who who was unknown who came in and has made a huge impact on their team I don't know maybe I'm being unfair on Everton I'm I'm a I'm a someone with a bit of a soft spot for them I'd, I would like them to see see them do better well, than they're they one of the classic year, teams sure. aren't they they're, they're one of the ever presence in the top league you know in the same way that you know likes of Arsenal or Man United you know they are one of the big names and certainly were one of the big names you know there was a period in the late 80s and early 90s when they were Regularly in FA Cup finals, and I, I remember Everton and Liverpool, you know, having these big days at Wembley, and it was all, you know, all those times. Whereas now they just seem to be kind of, not, they're they're doing all right because not getting relegated, obviously. But I mean, for an Everton fan, you know, there's it must be a funny one to know what to cheer for, really, because you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win the league, you're not gonna get in the Champions League. You might if you're lucky get into the one of the other European competitions. And apart from that, it's just avoiding relegation and trying to go on a cup run, isn't it? I think with Everton, it just needs the, the investment and the recruitment needs to improve. Because if you look at the amount of money that they've thrown at managers and players o- over recent years, it's just not worked out for them. Obviously, the odd one's worked out. But if you look at like sort of percentages, you'd say, what, maybe 20% of it's worked out for them. So the other 80% has been absolutely sh- so I think that's where it needs to improve for Everton. I think it just needs to be a little bit smarter and hopefully that's what Lampard can bring in because we, obviously we know he's, he's he's played the game, he's played the game at the highest level. He'll know exactly what to look for and hopefully the, the powers that be at Everton will back him and help support him and obviously give him a good scouting network and that's what they need. They just need to improve in investment, improve you know, in, in what they spend the money on. That's exactly what the problem has been yeah. for me over the last couple of years for Everton. Yeah, well, I think people have been saying that for a while. But if you're an Everton fan, you're listening in, why not let us know at the Sports Social 
on Twitter at Sports Social Official on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook as well, or just leave a review on this podcast. Leave us a nice little review and tell us what you think as an Everton fan. What do you need? What players do you need? Is Harry Winks one of them? What are your expectations? Would be good to hear from you, and I'm sure we will hear from some fans of Premier League clubs right throughout the course of the summer as we gear up to another Premier League season. But that is it from us today on Football Social Daily. We'll be back again in a couple of days on Friday. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate your time as ever. But we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.